The Musicians of Bremen There was once a donkey who had worked hard all his life. He carried heavy sacks for his master without ever grumbling, but he was getting old. He's no use to me now, thought the master. I won't waste any more food on him. When the donkey caught wind of his master's plan, he escaped and set off down the road to Bremen. I'll become a musician, he decided. That seems a good life for an old donkey. On his way, he met a hunting dog, panting heavily by the side of the road. Where have you run from and where are you going? asked the donkey. I've run away from my master, replied the dog. He wanted to shoot me because I'm getting too old to hunt. So I escaped, but now I have nowhere to go. Then come with me, suggested the donkey. I'm going to be a musician in Bremen. You could play the drums while I play the lute. The dog liked the sound of this and walked alongside the donkey. They hadn't gone far when they met an annoyed, bedraggled cat. What's the matter? asked the donkey. My mistress tried to drown me, spat the cat. I've grown too old to chase mice and she won't let me just curl up by the stove. Then come with us, said the dog. We're going to be musicians in Bremen, the donkey explained. You can play the violin. The cat loved this idea and padded alongside them. It was getting dark as they neared a farm. Perched on the gate was a rooster, crowing at the top of his lungs. Whatever's wrong, asked the donkey. My mistress has decided my time is up, sighed the rooster. She's going to chop off my head and cook me for Sunday lunch. Don't let her, said the donkey. Come with us. We're going to be musicians in Bremen, said the dog. You can be our singer, added the cat. So the four animals walked on until they reached a forest. There they settled for the night by a tall pine tree. I'm cold, moaned the cat. I'm hungry, moaned the dog. Hang on, called the rooster. I see a light. The animals followed the light and found a snug little cottage. The donkey crept closer and closer and peered in the window. I see a table of food, he said with excitement. And a band of robbers, he added in dismay. Whispering in the shadows, the animals came up with a plan. Quietly, the dog climbed onto the donkey. The cat jumped onto the dog. The rooster flew onto the cat. And with a blast of song, they burst through the window. Run for your lives, the robbers cried, leaving the animals to enjoy their feast. Happy and full, the animals turned out the lights and laid down to sleep but the robbers hadn't gone far. When they saw the lights go out, the robber captain called the youngest robber. Go back and find out who stole our hideout, he ordered. All was still as the little robber tiptoed into the dark kitchen. He saw the cat's eyes gleaming and thinking they were burning coals, jabbed a candle at them to light the candle. Ike, squeaked the cat, leaping up and scratching the robber. Terrified, he ran to the back door and tripped over the dog, who bit him savagely on the leg. The robber hobbled into the yard and was bucked by the donkey, while the rooster crowed a fearsome cockle-doodle-doo. Scared out of his mind, the robber escaped into the forest. We must run away, he called to his captain. I've just been scratched by a witch, stabbed by a thug, and beaten by a monster, and now an evil voice is yelling, catch that rascal do." The band of robbers turned and fled and never returned to the cottage in the woods. As for the animal musicians, 
They liked their new home so much they decided to stay and never did get to Bremen after all. The end. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs There was once a queen who longed for a baby. One winter's day, she sat sewing by her window, watching feathery snowflakes fall from the sky. Her needle slipped, three drops of blood fell on the snow, and she dreamed of a daughter as white as the snow, with lips as red as blood, and hair as black as ebony. Sadly, the queen died just as her wish came true. Her baby, Snow White, was beautiful. Soon after, the king remarried. His new queen was dazzling, but proud. Her fondest possession was a magic mirror, which she visited daily to ask. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? You, the mirror always replied, until one day it sang. Lovely you are, it's true, but Snow White is lovelier than you. No, screamed the queen. Then Snow White must die, and she called for a huntsman. Take the girl to the forest and kill her, she snarled. The huntsman took Snow White deep into the forest, but he couldn't bear to hurt her. Run, he ordered, and Snow White fled. Losing herself among the trees, she came to a strange little cottage, furnished with seven beds, seven chairs, and a table laid with seven plates and seven cups. The cottage belonged to seven kind dwarves, who were shocked to hear Snow White's story. Stay with us, they said. You'll be safe here. The queen, sure that Snow White was dead, asked her mirror, Who's the fairest now? Lovely you are, it's true, but Snow White is lovelier than you, it answered. Never, raged the queen. She disguised herself as an old woman and searched the kingdom for Snow White, tracking her down at last. She waited until the dwarves had left for work before calling pretty ribbons for sale. Snow White came running. I'd like one to lace my dress, she said. Let me tie it for you, grinned the queen, pulling the ribbon tightly and squeezing all the breath from Snow White's body. When the dwarves came home, they found Snow White lying on the ground. Horrified, they rushed to untie her. Meanwhile, the queen was back at her mirror. Who's the fairest of us all? Who's the fairest of us all? She asked. Lovely you are, it's true, but Snow White is lovelier than you, came the reply. Burning with anger, the queen put on a new disguise and returned to the cottage. This time, she offered Snow White a comb, which had secretly been laced with poison. As the comb touched Snow White's gleaming black hair, the poison entered her body and she collapsed. The dwarves discovered her slumped in a corner and feared the worst. Is she dead, sobbed one. Not quite, said another, spouting the comb and whipping it out. Snow White was cured. The queen raced home to her mirror. Am I the fairest now, she demanded. Still the mirror replied, Snow White is lovelier than you. She will not escape me, vowed the queen. She took a red apple, halved it, and dipped it in poison. Then she stuck it to the half of a green apple, disguised herself as a farmer's wife, and visited Snow White once more. Would you like to try a delicious apple? she asked. Snow White shook her head. I can't. I promise it's harmless, said the queen, taking a bite from the green half. Eat, she urged. Snow White sank her teeth into the red half.
Suddenly, she fell lifelessly to the floor. This time, even the dwarves could not save her. Weeping, they laid her in a glass coffin so that they could gaze at her beauty forever. There she might have stayed, but a prince riding by fell in love with her still perfect face. He lifted the coffin, and the piece of apple fell from Snow White's mouth. She coughed and began to breathe, opening her eyes to see her handsome rescuer. The queen, furious beyond measure to hear Snow White had come back to life, exploded in a fit of jealousy. Blissfully unaware of this, Snow White married her prince and lived happily ever after. The end. Hansel and Gretel Hansel and Gretel lived near a great forest with their father, a poor woodcutter, and their stepmother. One night, the children, unable to sleep from hunger, heard her say, We have no food, husband. We cannot take care of the children anymore. Tomorrow we must leave them in the forest. Never, cried their father, imagining his children torn to pieces by wild animals. But his wife gave him no peace until he agreed. Someone will find them and take care of them, she assured him, and they will only starve if they stay with us. Gretel looked at Hansel in horror. Don't worry, he whispered. Quietly, he slipped outside and collected a pocket full of white pebbles. He was back in bed before anyone noticed. We're going to the forest to chop wood, announced their stepmother the next day. Your children can gather sticks for the fire. Every now and then along the way, Hansel dropped a pebble on the path. When night fell and the children found themselves alone in the dark, the line of pebbles shone in the moonlight through the dark, shadowy forest and led them home. Their father was delighted. Their stepmother was furious. We'll try again, she hissed. I'd rather share my last crust with them, said their father. But again, he was overruled. This time, Hansel snatched a piece of bread and secretly crumbled it along the forest path. That evening... When the children tried to go home, they found their line of crumbs had vanished. Woodland birds had eaten every morsel, and the pair were well and truly lost. Deeper and deeper into the forest they roamed, hungry, tired, and frightened. After wandering for hours, they came to a house, the most incredible house they had ever seen. For it was made entirely of gingerbread and decorated with sugar paste and marzipan. Unable to help himself, Hansel broke off a chunk of the window ledge just as an old woman opened the door. Dear children, you must be starving if you're eating my house, she grinned. Why not stay with me? You can eat all you want. What a fine feast I'll have, she thought to herself, for she was a witch and thought little children were very tasty. She cooked them a wonderful supper, and Hansel and Gretel went to bed feeling full for the first time in months. But the very next morning, when they came downstairs, the witch grabbed Hansel and shoved him in a shed. Your breakfast is in there, she said. What are you doing, he shouted, fattening you up for my cooking pot, she snarled, locking the door. She turned to Gretel. Don't stand there blubbering. There's work to do. For the next few days, she made Gretel wash dishes and scrub floors while Hansel was fed delicious food through a small hole at the bottom of the shed. 
Every morning the witch barked, put out your finger so I can feel how fat you've grown. Hansel always stuck out a stick instead, so that the witch, who had weak eyes, wondered why he was still so thin. Four weeks later, when he seemed not to be the least bit bigger, she screamed, whether Hansel is fat or skinny, I'm eating him now. Open the oven, Gretel, and creep in to see if it's hot enough. Gretel thought quickly. I'll never fit in there, she said. No one could. Even I could fit in there, you silly girl, snapped the witch. Watch. And she put her own head in the oven. At once, Gretel pushed her right in and slammed the door. The witch howled and howled. Gretel ran to set Hansel free. When they explored the witch's house, they found a treasure chest heaped with glittering jewels. Filling a bag with rubies, emeralds, and sapphires, they set off through the forest to try to find their home. By dusk, they reached their father's house. He could hardly believe that they had come back. He kissed them and hugged them, then kissed them and hugged them again. As he had now banished his wicked wife for good, they could all live happily ever after. The end. Rapunzel. Once upon a time, a young couple lived beside an enchanted garden. All kinds of herbs and plants grew there throughout the year, but no one ever set foot in it for fear of the witch who owned it. One bitter winter, the wife, who was expecting a child, began to long for the taste of spring leaves. She craved them so much, she thought she would die without them. So, bravely, her husband entered the garden. He had picked just one leaf of a plant named Rapunzel, when a shout rang out, Stop! It was the witch. How dare you steal my plants? You will pay with your life. Sorry, he said. Please, it was for my wife. She is expecting a baby. A baby, muttered the witch. Well, in that case, take all you want. In exchange, I will take the child. No one dared disobey the witch. With heavy hearts, the couple waited. The baby, when she came, was a beautiful, rosy-cheeked girl. They had just wrapped her in a blanket when the witch tapped at the door. I'll call her Rapunzel, she cackled as she took her away, in memory of our bargain. So Rapunzel grew up with the witch, who guarded her jealously. When she was twelve, the witch locked her in a tower with no door. The only way in or out was to climb the outside, but the walls of the tower were slippery and smooth. Rapunzel had long golden hair, which grew and grew, and was never cut. When the witch visited, she would call up, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Then Rapunzel would let her hair tumble down to the ground, and the witch would climb up. One day, a prince was riding by the tower when he saw Rapunzel. She was so beautiful he lost his heart to her in an instant. And Rapunzel, who had never seen a man before, was equally charmed. Quickly, she let down her hair. Boldly, the prince climbed up. They talked and laughed. By sunset, they had vowed to be married. You must go before the witch finds you, warned Rapunzel, or she'll kill you. I'll be back with a rope ladder, promised the prince, and we'll escape together. But when the witch returned, she knew at once. A man has been here, she spat. Who is he? 
Rapunzel pressed her lips together firmly. Never mind, I'll find out, snarled the witch. She chopped off Rapunzel's golden hair and locked her in a cupboard. And then she waited. Before long, there came a whisper. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Rapunzel's beautiful hair tumbled down and the prince climbed up, only to find the witch was holding her hair at the other end. You'll never see your darling again, she cackled, trying to push him out of the window. No, cried the prince, jerking the hair. The witch, who was still clutching it tightly, was thrown off balance. She teetered for a moment, then fell through the window. There was a loud shriek and a sudden silence. Well, that's the end of her, sighed the prince, looking around. Rapunzel? Here came a soft voice. The prince unlocked the cupboard, and she rushed into his arms. We're free, he said, smiling. Now we can climb down my rope ladder and live happily ever after. And they did. The end. The Elves and the Shoemaker I can't go on, sighed the old shoemaker in despair one evening. We have no more money. He was an honest, good man who made beautiful shoes slowly and carefully, but his business was being ruined by the cobbler next door. This man sold hundreds of pairs of cheap shoes, and the shoemaker's customers all went to the new cobbler. What shall we do? wept the shoemaker's wife. You only have enough leather to make one last pair of shoes. I'll cut them out tonight and make them tomorrow, said the shoemaker, and he climbed the stairs to bed with a heavy heart. The next morning, a perfect pair of shoes, complete with shining buckles, stood on his workshop bench. Every stitch was exquisite. Look, wife, squealed the shoemaker in amazement, putting them in the window. Instantly, a customer snapped them up. He paid so much that the shoemaker was able to buy enough leather for two more pairs. Again, he cut them out, planning on finishing them the following morning. And again, the magic happened. Two pairs of shoes appeared, with bows, laces, even pink heels. They were elegant, unique, and exceptionally well made. How is this happening? wondered the shoemaker. Every day, as he bought more leather, he found more wonderful shoes in the morning. Soon, he was rich again. His customers flocked back. Fed up with the new cobbler's cheap shoes that let in the rain and fell to pieces after being worn once. The cobbler, furious, left town. The shoemaker could hardly believe his good fortune. We must stay awake and see who's helping us. That night, they hid in a corner of the workshop behind some coats and waited. At midnight, two elves clad in rags darted in. They began to cut and hammer and pierce and stitch the leather so skillfully and nimbly with their little fingers that the shoemaker gasped with astonishment. Those little men have made us wealthy, and we must show them how grateful we are, whispered his wife. Their clothes are so ragged they must be freezing from the cold. I'll make them shirts and warm coats, fancy waistcoats and breeches. I'll even knit them a pair of socks each. You can make them shoes. The shoemaker and his wife spent all the next day making the tiny outfits and left them laid out on the workshop bench instead of the pieces of leather. Then they hid again behind the coats to wait for the elves. 
As midnight struck, the elves arrived, saw the clothes, and quickly dressed themselves. They danced and skipped all over the workshop, singing in delight. Now we are so fine to see, no more will we shoemakers be. And they ran out of the shop, never to return. Even without the elves, the shoemaker's business grew. He became famous throughout the land because his shoes were the most sensational and magnificent ever seen. And he and his wife prospered to the end of their days. The end.